Listener Production. Hi, Rihanna Patrick here, and welcome to the briefing. How would you feel about police being able to use remote controlled robots to use deadly force when there's a risk to life? There were some people, especially in the law enforcement community, that talked about the necessity for these robots and how they would be critical in cases of situations like mass shootings, cases where other people's lives were in danger, but the backlash was pretty severe. So San Francisco city leaders had initially approved a proposal for potentially lethal robots to be used by law enforcement, but after community opposition to it, they reversed their decision. So how much power should police departments be giving to these robots? And how will courts deal with cases involving police robots? That's today's briefing. But first, headlines with Eleanor Harrison-Dengate. It's Tuesday, the 20th of December. Penny Wong will be the first Australian minister in three years to visit Beijing today, set to meet with her counterpart, Wang Yi, The visit could mean trade sanctions worth $20 billion against Australia will be lifted. Yeah, Eleanor, the pair are also likely to discuss the fates of two Australians who are currently being detained in China. That's journalist Cheng Lei and writer Yang Hung Jun. And this visit coincides with the 50th anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic relations between Canberra and Beijing. So the background to this is that the Australia-China relationship deteriorated under the coalition government after it called for an independent international investigation into the origins of COVID-19. And the relationship has been thawing since Labor won in May, with Prime Minister Anthony Albanese getting to meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping at the G20 summit in November. Hillsong's founder Brian Houston has told a court he believes his father was a serial pedophile, saying we'll probably never know the extent of it. The revelations came during Houston's second day of evidence in a Sydney court where he's pleaded not guilty to concealing his father's abuse of a seven-year-old boy in the 1970s until his father's death in 2004. His lawyers say it was reasonable not to go to police as the victim had asked for authorities not to be involved. So Frank Houston, Brian's father, confessed to his son about one case of abuse in 1999. And after that abuse came to life, Frank was banned from preaching and a message was put out that he was retiring. Brian Houston says in hindsight, a public statement should have detailed the real reason why his father was stood down from the church instead. Houston denies he covered it up, also saying he didn't know about a $10,000 payment to his father's victim, which was allegedly designed to buy his silence. He also told the court he didn't believe his father was a risk to the community in his old age due to his diminishing mental state. Three men are set to face court in February following Saturday's A-League pitch invasion. Three flares were thrown onto the field when Melbourne City goalkeeper Tom Glover threw one back into the crowd and then 150 people stormed the pitch. An 18 and a 19-year-old have now been charged as well as a 23-year-old Craigieburn man who is alleged to have struck the goalkeeper with a bucket full of sand. Three other people were injured, while about $120,000 worth of damage was done to Amy Park. So the invasion came from Melbourne Victory's support area behind the goal, and the club is now facing heavy sanctions. Victoria Premier Dan Andrews says he's worried the incident will tarnish Melbourne's sporting reputation. That's not us. That's not... That sort of violence is not acceptable anywhere, and uh, that's not part of sport. It's not part of our way of life. 
and I, I condemn it in the strongest possible terms. Andrews also says the people involved in the invasion don't deserve to be called fans. So, Eleanor, three men are set to face court. They self-presented to police, but police are still looking for others. Yeah, so they wanted to find nine men and they're still asking if anyone has any information to uh, let them know. Thousands of mourners are expected to attend a Queensland state memorial service tomorrow for the two police officers killed last week. Constables Matthew Arnold and Rachel McCrow were killed in an ambush at a rural property west of Brisbane. Wednesday is going to be a very difficult day. It's going to be a very difficult day for everyone involved. That's the Queensland Premier there, Anastasia Palaszczuk. And the Queensland Police Union is pledging to buy the land where the two officers were killed. The organisation wants to use the property at Wyambilla as a retreat or training ground. So this was uh, interesting. They basically are wanting to make sure that the land never falls into the hands of anyone else who's a pro-gun conspiracy theorist who would use the reputation of the site to promote their views. So that's sort of the, the logic behind it. It'll be interesting to see what happens with it. And the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard saga is finally over. The pair have settled their defamation claims against each other, with Heard's insurance company set to pay Depp a million dollars US to end the case. So Heard is allowed to talk about the case and has not accepted guilt as part of the agreement. Over the last six years, the two have been battling it out in courts across the world. It's after Heard claimed she was a victim of domestic violence during their marriage. So a court in London found in her favour, but a US court backed Deb and Heard then appealed that ruling. So that should finally put an end to that. Thanks, Eleanor. Coming up, robocops and why the San Francisco community is pushing back on potentially lethal robots. Annika, this seems like something which could only exist in a sci-fi thriller. Now, last month, San Francisco city leaders voted to give law enforcement the ability to deploy remote-controlled robots to use deadly force when there's imminent risk to life and when other measures fail to subdue a threat. Yeah, and that decision, though, was overturned. But it's raised a lot of questions about how much power police departments should give to robocops. Thank you for your cooperation. Good night. Daphne Durrett is an investigative reporter with The Marshall Project, a non-profit news organisation covering the US criminal justice system. Daphne, thanks for joining us. What exactly was the San Francisco Police Department proposing here? Well, the controversy that erupted was over a measure from the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. It's the governing body over the city over of San Francisco. They were proposing a provision from the police department that would allow robots that the police department has in its arsenal to be able to use deadly force whenever the police deemed it necessary against people. Just how intense was that backlash from the community after city leaders voted to approve this? There was a huge backlash, not just from people in San Francisco, but also from people in other parts of the country and other parts of the world who took umbrage to the fact that the city leaders were passing this provision that would allow robots to kill people. And what was the split like? Was it roundly, I guess, um, rejected by people in San Francisco or was there some in the community who were in favour of that? And who were they? 
the outcry or the backlash was pretty uh, severe and severe to the point where the Board of Supervisors eventually backtracked and they repealed that provision from the law. And now it's going back to a committee for review to see what, if any law that they can pass regarding how police use the 12 robots that they have. But there were there were some people, especially in the law enforcement community, that talked about the necessity for these robots and how they would be critical in cases of situations like mass shootings, cases where other people's lives were in danger. But the backlash was pretty severe. And more broadly across the U.S., what's this debate been like? Are there other jurisdictions where they're being used or this debate is happening? And what's the mood of the country over there? So the debate over police robots or in some places they have robo-dogs, this debate is not entirely new. There was a case in 2016 where the Dallas, Texas Police Department used a robot armed with explosives to kill someone who had killed and injured uh, several police officers in a case there. And so that was controversial. But what the police said in that regard was that they they didn't regret their decision to do that and that they did this to save other people's lives. Daphne, I mean, you mentioned that, I mean, the use of police robots isn't new, but robots, and they've been used for things like defusing bombs, providing surveillance of hostage situations. But I mean, are there examples of other US police departments that are using robots in a way which differs to how they are currently used that I guess is the thing that communities are most worried about? So I can say that the uh, part of the debate is that there are some people who say that um, there are use cases for for robots that the police can use in ways that that can help people. Like there are some agencies who would like to use robots in search and rescue missions to get supplies to people. There is a case here in Florida where a police department in St. Petersburg, Florida, was able to use a robot to get critical surveillance footage during a hostage situation. And they were able to eventually recover the hostages and arrest the assailant without incident. So there are a lot of people who say that there are good use cases for uh, police robots and robo-dogs. There's another case in Hawaii where a robo-dog was used to take temperatures of people at a homeless camp. But in that case, activists in that area said that this was an infringement on the rights of the folks in that camp. So there's not an easy way to answer the question in terms of the use cases, because I think they're across the board and almost none of them are without controversy. What do you think this debate tells us more broadly about some of the policing issues in the U.S., particularly around the militarization of the police force? Well, there's been a lot of discussion in recent years over the so-called warrior cop mentality, where police run like military organizations as opposed to public safety agencies where the vision would be to look out for the welfare of people as opposed to 
engaging subjects in a way that a military force would deal with enemy combatants. So I think that's the debate that has come up recently, but inevitably, and I think we've seen several iterations of this in the United States, whenever there's new technology or there's technology that has been specifically used for the military, we've seen in many instances ways that these technologies go beyond just military usage and are used by uh, police departments across the country. Daphne, sometimes technology can evolve at a more rapid rate than other things that might be part of how to regulate it. And and I wonder about what the bigger implications are if potentially lethal robots are used in policing. I mean, what would be that impact on courts, for instance, in how they treat cases that involve police robots? There are a bunch of complex laws and uh, legal precedents in the United States in terms of the rights and powers that police have when it comes to interacting with people. The legal principle that has sparked the most debate in recent years, especially as we're talking about the police brutality and and the liability for that, is a principle called qualified immunity, which in general protects Uh, police departments from legal liability in, you know, civil courts for things that police officers do in the normal execution of their duties. And the legal standard there in terms of what would grant an officer qualified immunity is what a reasonable person would do if faced with the same situation that an officer is in. So, for example, if you know, a police officer goes to a situation where someone points a gun at the officer and the officer could argue that, well, any reasonable person, if a gun is pointed at you, if you have, if you're armed and you have a gun too, you would shoot that other person in self-defense. So that's the standard for qualified immunity. The thing that presents a wrinkle here when it comes to machines or robots is that the robots are not humans. So the legal standard is what a reasonable officer would do, meaning officer in terms of a human police officer. So for example, there's a robot that's operating on an algorithm that says when when this happens, then you should shoot, or when this happens, you should use this level of force. Well, then how do you regulate that in terms of culpability or who's responsible in a police shooting where someone is is shot and killed wrongfully. So what then does that throw into the mix of the potential of robots to tamper with crime scenes or when a robot malfunctions and could that compromise a criminal case? Yeah, there was a, a case that I highlighted in Florida where, you know, the police had used a robot and they said that, you know, the robot could have moved a shell casing at a crime scene. And so the fact that people other than human beings are now going to be at crime scenes presents an interesting uh, legal debate that I think courts are going to have to grapple with. Watching from over here, we know that gun debates are huge in the US. So do you think robots will be the next frontier in this gun debate? 
Yeah, I definitely think so in the same ways that gun ownership and the prevalence of guns or the different types of guns that have trickled into our society have uh, changed the debate. I I think in general, technology that's used by law enforcement is going to continue to be part of the debate in terms of how the United States polices communities. And so, yeah, I think that's definitely going to be part of it. I think another thing that will be part of the discussion is whether they will do more harm than good, even within the community of police robotics or robodogs or robotic equipment. There is an ethical rift in terms of how these manufacturers think robots should be used. That's Daphne Durrett, an investigative reporter with The Marshall Project, a non-for-profit news organisation covering the US criminal justice system. And Annika, it sounds like that there's always this point where technology evolves faster than regulations and then these grey areas come up that need more thought and process put into them as we move further into this future that might exist. Yeah, you made that point during the interview and I thought it was really interesting, whether it's automobiles or the internet, we always have this problem that laws, regulations, there's a lag and it sounds like this is just another classic example. They've got this technology, but we just don't know what to do with it. Yeah, and Annika, and I also liked your question around, you know, is this the next frontier in the gun debate that's raging across the US at the moment? And it makes me think it possibly could be if they're planning on weaponizing robots. Yeah, given they have such a, uh, I guess, an attraction to some serious weapons over there, a lot of people in the US, just imagine the idea of getting a robo dog that could, uh, you know, be a sort of, I guess, a protector for your family. And it just goes back to what we were saying before. This needs a little bit of regulation. That's today's briefing. Tomorrow, we're delving into the world of AI chatbots. Listener.